0: Welcome to the NC4 podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power
1: of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory. So God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago, the Jews were there, and they tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. And it is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, will he get better? And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us all go, that we may all die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again on the resurrection, the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in a place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha and the the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus! "'Come out!' And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, "'Take off the grave clothes and let him go.'" It takes a community. "'Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done.' And then the chief priests and the Pharisees calling a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die." For the people, than that the whole nation perish. He didn't say this on his own. But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. And therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea, Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. And when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Is he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders Anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen.
0: That is a powerful story, yeah. Wow. So this morning, after this dramatic reading by Pastor Rex, I love the way he reads, I want to speak on the topic it's enshrined in these verses that, that sometimes we don't necessarily connect with this particular story, and that's the issue of God and suffering. The question of God, and if you talk about suffering, you're talking about evil as well. The question of God and evil and suffering is embedded in this uh, story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And it's, extremely, it's an extremely important question to deal with because it's the single most challenging objection to the existence of God that any one of us as Christians are going to face. And we've all faced it one time or another. Uh, in our world, it's, it's like a, a garden variety challenge. This idea of evil and suffering is a garden variety challenge to the notion that there is a God and that that God is in fact good. Yeah, we've all heard that. But that gives rise to another problem. If you eliminate the possibility of a sovereign God, or even like a sovereign God who's good, and the problem of suffering and evil remaining in the world, well, like, who do you blame for all the injustice? Huh? You know, who takes the rap? And you still have this immense problem because of what's going on in our lives, in the chaos of the world, consequent to sin and the death comes into the world through sin. When I was uh, um, 16 years old, I uh, just turned 16, my 15-year-old brother, I had a bunch of brothers, my, si- my 15-year-old brother, this is back in the 60s, contacted leukemia, blood leukemia. And in those days, there was no such thing as uh, the kind of treatments that we have today for it that didn't exist. All they could do was transfuse him and transfuse him and transfuse him. He was diagnosed in July I'm sorry, he was diagnosed, excuse me, in February and by July he had passed away. And the death was pretty hideous to be quite honest with you. And it was just a, the watching of a deterioration. My father was a physician. So it was pretty tough on my father. My father was a, a practicing Catholic. Went to church, gave you know, kind of tipped his hat at the notion of God and, and made sure that his family, we went to to parochial school, made sure that his family, his kids, were raised in the faith and so forth. And I remember we took my brother to a New York Hospital. Again, there was no uh, chemotherapy in those days. It didn't exist. And I, I was in the elevator. I had watched him deteriorate. I watched the colors of all of his scars, everything that he'd ever, every, any bruise he ever had, just colored his whole body I watched that, and I looked at him in the elevator, and I thought I'd see him the following weekend. So I said, hey, look, I'll see you this weekend. And then I went back to Pennsylvania. That was the last time I saw him. He was uh, so emaciated that my parents decided not to have a viewing, uh, which I was happy about. But it was a surprise, because evil and death and suffering had entered my life as a teenager. And uh, teenagers don't know that happens for the most part. My father, who, again, was a practicing uh, Christian of sorts, absolutely dissed God, consequent to it. Good. He was a physician and, and uh, his conclusion was either there isn't a God or if there is a God, he ain't good. Huh? And we run into these situations all the time in life. Now, The interesting thing was that conclusion that my dad came to did not solve the problem of injustice or evil or suffering in his life. And it took him 50 more years to discover that there was no fruit in it. As a matter of fact, it was my wife who all those years later led my father to Jesus Christ. But it took 50 years to discover that that conclusion was empty of any kind of value for his life. Huh? All right. I was uh, golfing in Nashville uh, last week, which is why I wasn't here. <laughs> the guy I was golfing with was uh, was a neat guy. He was a high-tech guy, a high-roller kind of guy. And uh, we were talking about the war in Ukraine and the devastation. Seeing the children, right? Children... Uh, there was one particular picture that morning of the body of a child laying next to his mother who had come under a bomb attack and you could see the blood and it was a devastating picture and we come under the golf course. and So when I go golfing, I really never tell anybody what I do for a living because their personality changes. Seriously, they get all weird. I hate it. So the guy says to me, he's snarky, and he says to me, well, what do you think God has to say about this? And I just looked at him and I said, I think God is much more distressed than we are and what's going on with the situation in the Ukraine. And so here's the deal. Whether we're dealing with suffering on a personal or a family level or whether we're dealing with the mindless carnage and evil that we're seeing in Eastern Europe right now, there's a universal question going on, and it touches on the reality of a broken world, oh, no matter what, no matter whether we're, whether we're facing it in our nation, in our culture, or our religion. It's a problem, yeah? And so the question this morning, in looking at Lazarus and, and Jesus, can I mention to you that Mary and Martha and all of the Jews in this little village of Bethany, which is just over the hill from Jerusalem, that they were all suffering as Lazarus suffered. By the way, it's not like Lazarus got hit by a donkey and died. It wasn't immediate. There was a process to this. Okay? So what's our response? How How do we answer that question, the question both for ourselves and those in the marketplace who reject God because of it? What's our response? Well, here's the spoiler You know, I'm not going to give you the entire response this morning because I don't have it, huh? But here's the interesting thing. The Bible doesn't give a complete response either. Job found that out, huh? But Job did find out that there's a good and a great God who gives us hope. So I call this message the serpent upon the rock or the serpent on the rock. In Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 19, the writer says this, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, he says in Proverbs, he says, there are certain things that are too wonderful or mysterious for me. And there are certain things that I might be given some insight into, but I'm never really going to completely understand them. And one of those things is the way of a serpent upon a rock. And he isn't talking about how, how snakes move biologically. He's speaking symbolically. And the serpent represents evil and the enemy, and the rock represents God. How can evil and God coexist when God is suffering? Why is there a serpent on the rock in the first place? Why, why does evil exist? Why does the world suffer? Why does a child suffer? And here's a hint. That's to where we're going. The scripture declares that God is not the originator of evil, but he is the Lord of it. Huh? And therein lies our hope. I want to take a look at this passage in the crazy way that Rex emphasized that Jesus responds to the sufferings of those whom he loved. When my daughter was having her surgery for a, a brain tumor a number of years ago, we went to St. Thomas Hospital, Catholic Hospital in Nashville. When we drove into the hospital, emblazoned over the hospital building was a sign that said, With God all things are possible. How often do you see that, huh? Not only that, when we walked into the foyer of the hospital, in in a base relief, a big wooden base relief on the wall, there was a disciple, Thomas, coming to Jesus, saying, Lord, the one whom you love is suffering. Wow. That's for all of us, yeah? It's that kind of thing. So, can I point out again that Lazarus was suffering and dying. He just, again, didn't get hit by a donkey. He had a personal connection to the family. Jesus had a personal connection to Lazarus, Martha, Mary, to the entire village. And the scripture says, so he waited. What? Where's the urgency, right? That's a fair question. How many of us here have like been in the midst of something where we're up to our ears in problem, which amounts to suffering of some kind, whether it's anguish or or anxiety or whatever it is. And we say, God, where are you? Yeah. You are not on time. Huh? And so, that's the way we kind of feel when God doesn't turn up when we want God to turn up. And the real question is, how many of us have struggled with God not showing up and not showing up in the way that we wanted him to show up when he showed up? So that gives rise to an argument in us. and It gives rise to an argument in the world as well. And this is the argument. If God is willing but unable to stop evil, well, then he's weak and he's not really God. All right? But if he's able to stop evil, but unwilling to stop evil, then he's unloving and he's not really good. And who needs a God like that? Now, I want to look at the story of Martha and Mary and Lazarus and see how they grapple with this and how Jesus Confronts them. So Jesus declares to his disciples, this is interesting. This sickness is not unto death. That's what he says to his disciples. Problem is, Lazarus actually dies. Huh? Yikes. So what are the disciples supposed to think? Uh, But there's another option. And Jesus says, there's something greater than death that's going on in this situation. And that something greater than death is going to result in the glory of God. And these are like kind of like Zen statements. They're just these contradictions. And can I point out that what was actually going on was this person suffering and dying, which is supposed to be glorifying God. How many of us feel as if we may be glorifying God in this suffering that we're going through? That's what Jesus said. See, evangelicals don't have a great theology of suffering. Catholics and Orthodox do. They get it wrong a bit, from my perspective, but at least they confront it. We tend to ignore it, deflect it, pretend that it doesn't exist, and yet every one of us here this morning is going through it, at some level, if we are alive, yeah? Here's a question that has to be raised. Is it possible that in the midst of suffering that seems, that looks like, it's unaddressed by God, when we see evil running rampant in some dimension of our lives, or even some dimensions in the world, is it possible that we can lean into the truth that death and evil absolutely, absolutely, absolutely will be addressed by God and God will be glorified ultimately? If that's not possible, we have no hope. So... (sighs) When my brother passed away, as I just said, I came home from the funeral. My parents took us and the kids away for a couple days, came home from the funeral. The very next event in my life, the very next event in my life was I was driving back to home, stopped at a restaurant, and I met her. I met my wife. Through my relationship with her, I came to Christ, my parents came to Christ, and the rest, of course, is History. Isn't that interesting? I have no way to connect those dots except supernaturally. But it was almost as if there was a reasonability in how my life flowed consequent to that. Not only that, but he actually died, but Jesus said he doesn't die. By the way, he was the only brother I had who was somewhat religious. He was thinking about becoming a priest at the time. So my confidence is that whatever decade it might be, I will go and I will see him because he yet lives. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in my flesh I will see him. So I'm thinking, we look through a glass so darkly when we entertain these questions, right? So Jesus, in the midst of all this pain and the tears, and people were crying. And the disappointment. They were disappointed. He wasn't there. And if when he shows up, it was too late and he wasn't there like he was supposed to be. Jesus and all of that carries to Bethany and to Martha and to Mary, to the village a confidence that no one else carries nor even suspects. And most of us know, of course, how the, the story turns out because we just read it. So here's what I want us to get. I see this episode that Pastor Rex just read. I see this episode as a micro-moment. Uh, I see the little village of Bethany as a picture of a world beset by suffering, evil, and death, and then Jesus comes. Huh? And when he comes, he comes as the resurrection. Do you realize this is our story? This is going to happen? Huh? And, and Jesus comes, and when he comes, he comes as the resurrection, and I see this mini-episode of what we all will see, as really as we're sitting here this morning, and we all have experienced something of the suffering Mary and Martha, but I want you to know, just as we're experiencing that suffering, we will experience that resurrection. Whoa! I'm preaching what may be my last Easter sermon at NC4 in a few weeks. And the theme of that sermon will be, what if though you personally, what if though you personally actually die, you don't personally actually die? Because that's what Jesus says. That's pretty scary and pretty wonderful at the same time. Am I right? I mean, it should create in us a sense to say, well, what is really life all about, right? Why am I really doing the kind of stuff that I'm doing? What if evil and suffering and injustice have to be then reconciled when we figure out that when you die, you don't die? That's a Lenten thought, by the way. That's something you can really take to God personally between now, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Resurrection Day Easter, that's something to think about. So what then is our responsibility here and now in the midst of a war that's going on? By the way, a war that is world-changing. You know? uh, Europe is rearming itself. And I realize when we're sitting here watching TikTok and all this other media stuff and watching these wonderful commercials on television, it doesn't seem like anything changed. Things have changed. Things have changed radically, all right? So what's our responsibility as we face this stuff? I'm thinking about what are my grandchildren facing? I'm gonna mention two truths that we need to face that Martha faced in her predicament. This gonna take a few seconds and then we'll be finished. And then Pastor Ian's gonna pick up this theme next week because there's a lot more to say, all right? So the scripture says that when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him and Mary remained seated in the house and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, right? But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Now, there's something in that that really, you know, kind of blows me away. She's interceding for him. She doesn't know for sure what she's interceding for because she's in a suffering moment that seems absolutely impossible, but she says, I know Jesus, help. Whatever you ask the Father, you'll, he'll do for you. So there's hope in that, right? That's amazing. Second thing that's amazing is that, you know, Martha's just an, an average garden variety, run-of-the-mill Jewish woman of the first century temple, and she still believes in the resurrection. I mean, it's still something that's part of her life the way it should be part of our lives 2,000 years later, Right? So there's much more to say here, especially in this particular moment in history. But Martha is making what I call a propositional and prayerful transaction that means everything when we're, when we're focusing on chaos in our life, whether it's chaos with kids, whether it's chaos with parents, whether it's chaos financially, whether it's chaos nationally, geopolitically, whatever it is. She's doing something. She's declaring something, and at the same time she declares it, she's praying it. Martha, in asking Jesus to ask God, is in fact praying and interceding. And we can do that. Any predicament of evil, circumstance of evil, circumstance of suffering, we have this incredible capacity to impact it no matter how big or little it is, and it's called intercession. That's why we're praying for these people in the box. And she does that, and this is what takes place. She declares him, in the midst of the hopelessness and disappointment and all the rest of the, the stuff, she declares him to be a trustworthy God. Huh? And then he, consequently, reveals himself to embody the power of, overcome all death. All death. And when I say all death, whatever destructive forces are working in our lives this morning, wherever they are and what's going on, that's death. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Yeah. So I want to take this from 50,000 feet and bring it down today. The thing we're facing together as a congregation is a changed world. And I also said, I'm struggling because the younger kids and the younger adults really don't have the context that we do coming out of World War II, Vietnam, Korea, and all those things to understand how big what's going on is. Okay? The situation has changed. We have a seminary in Kiev. It was part of Grace Network. and, and uh, I was last week down at Staunton Grace Covenant in Virginia and I ordained a new pastor there with a team. I saw the pictures the pastor there, Steve Paulus, has almost been a force in establishing the seminary in Kiev. I saw pictures of all our brothers and sisters with their wives, Tricia was there with me, with their kids hiding in the basements asking for prayer. It's pretty real. And I saw pictures of year after year after year after year of Grace Network and one-focused people, going there and teaching these seminarians and sending them out into the rest of the world. This week, just, that's been weighing on me. This week, Paul Stewart sent me a, a prophecy he said, I don't know, I don't like international prophecies. This last election has soured me of prophecy completely. And, and he said, but I felt like I needed to submit it to you. So I said, okay. And, and Paul, Paul wrote this. He feels like this is what God is saying. I do too. He says this, have I changed? This is God speaking. Have I changed? Has my arm shortened that I can't effect change or reverse the course of even battles or wars? Did I not do the same thing during World War II because your fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and grandfathers prayed, don't I do the same for you today as I did for your parents, for your grandparents, for your great-grandparents? Don't I tell you th- didn't I tell you there would be wars and rumors of wars to prepare you for what was to come and to get you ready to stand against evil that's in your world? Huh? There are more for you than those who are against you. And if you open your spiritual eyes, you'll see. Go forth in faith. Call forth the warrior angels to reign in the steads of the evil ones, causing this turmoil and affecting leaders, and reverse the advances that are going on in Ukraine and Russia. Cover the churches. Cover the believers. Cover the unbelievers. Pray prayers of protection. Send forth my special forces of angels that will bring, bring battle reversals and defeat our enemy. I care, I care, God says, for the Ukrainians. I care, God says, for the Russians. Huh? As much as I care for you. Ooh. And I love you more than you can imagine. You are part of my end of days plans And I put you here because you have a critical role to play. Do not think that you're not valuable to me or have no part in what's happening in the world today. But stand fast, be in faith, pray, because you have been chosen, you have been called. to This place and this time, amen and amen. I think that's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Yeah, That's just not for the service. That's for our personal prayer lives. We have power. We have authority. We sang about it this morning. I want to pray for the Ukraine. I want to pray for what's going on there right now and take authority. But I don't want that to be what comes of this. I want what comes of this to be while we're driving in the car this week. While we're on our way to work or school or or praying with our kids or doing morning devotions to not forget to pray for those who are suffering this morning in the Ukraine and in the rest of the world. This is particularly preeminent because it's such a game changer. Okay, So if anybody here kind of is visiting because of Tom or whatever reason and doesn't uh, know the Jesus that was described in, in this story, who doesn't know... You're not going to die. You're not going to die, even though you die. If you don't know that, would you come up after the service? I would like to introduce you to a God who can tell you that. Right? I, mean, I really mean that. It, it could be the greatest day of, of your life because it would be the greatest day of living forever. Yeah? It's that kind of a deal. The Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace because Jesus is the resurrection and the life.
1: Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.